Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm founder of the Your People Marketing and PR Agency, and I lead the Make Meaning Movement, a platform that helps purpose-driven visionaries and leaders do business with meaning. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of how people dare to take chances to live the life they want with meaningful work and purposeful days. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. Crystal Blanchett is a private chef to celebrities and athletes. She's cooked for Will I Am, Prince, George Lucas, Mike Tyson, and Jessica Simpson, among so many others. As a graduate of the California Culinary Academy and San Diego State University, Crystal combines her training and education to create a healthy cuisine ideology. She's also a single mom who believes healthy eating can happen no matter what constraints or circumstances you face. Crystal is the author of Chef's Guide to Divorce and the face of the lifestyle brand Chef Crystal's World. She's also in partnership with Airbnb on a community film, music, and dinner series. And she's involved in a culinary urban development effort called Inner City Kitchen in South Los Angeles and other American cities. Most recently, Crystal wrote the book, A Tale of Two Titties, The Glitz and Glamour Guide to Breastfeeding. She sees food not only as a necessity for survival, but as a way to connect with your body. She says, allow food to nurture your body by making it a priority, not a chore. I'm excited to welcome Chef Crystal to the Make Meaning Podcast. Chef Crystal, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about your culinary career. I know that it's been your passion. It's gone in a lot of directions. And I also know that your life journey has influenced your work. So just tell me a little bit about how you got started in culinary and uh, sort of where it took you. Yes, absolutely. So I've been working in the culinary field for about 15 years um, and maybe over 15 years, 15 years plus. And I really just have always wanted to be a chef. Um, there, I've, There's never been anything else I've, I've wanted to do, but my parents insisted that I go to college. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I got my degree in nutritional science and um, went to culinary school at the same time. And mm-hmm. I was really fortunate to get an internship after culinary school, I worked at Lucas Films. And so wow. I've been in entertainment ever since. Um, my whole career has been in entertainment. So a few years back, I was in the midst of a divorce and uh, really was trying to figure out where I wanted to go with food and also self-care and what that looked like. Because we often, my experience is that we often jump into self-care uh, when we're in the midst of something that's kind of chaotic. And sometimes that self-care can be destructive, like yeah. eating Haagen-Dazs ice cream. Or, it's so good. Um, Come on. It's so good. It's so good. So <laughs> what I wanted to do though, I, I wanted to give myself, or I got to give myself permission to enjoy those moments with the Haagen-Dazs, mm-hmm. but also recognize that, that I got to treat myself with care and be yeah. kind to myself. So Chef's Guide to Divorce was my just launching, uh, giving myself permission to, to be in my culinary experience, whatever that looked like in that moment. So I really spent time watching all of the amazing, you know, um, culinary films Mm -hmm. and, um, of our century and, and just kind of 
embracing myself in the culture and history of food, um, reading just a lot of books on some of the great chefs and culinary masters from the, like the, the early 1900s and just things like that. And, mm-hmm. um, I just was so inspired. And so I would read a book or watch a film and then I would cook the food from mm-hmm. the film that I saw or, or the book that I read. And then I would feed all my friends oh, <laughs> and uh, this that. is pre COVID obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and it was um, really magical because sometimes it was just by myself. Sometimes uh-huh. I would, I would, you know, make a cocktail or I would make a cake or something. And it, it was um, from scratch and I would make a bolognese from scratch. And, and it was really just the time that I got to spend with myself mm-hmm. and reinvent who I got to be, but also taking the experiences and the feelings that I was having mm-hmm. and, 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 and not just pushing them to the side yeah. and really focusing and, and being, being present to that. So that's really where Chef, Chef's Guide came about. And it's been such a beautiful journey hmm. um, since. It's really, there's so much to unpack there. So there's a couple of things that I want to ask you about. I mean, so first of all, you know, working in culinary, but in the entertainment industry, like there's just so many questions. I mean, <laughs> you know, was that, were you sort of like, this is like, I'm in awe, all these celebrities, or it was like, I'm just feeding people. I mean, what was that experience like? You know, it's every, every experience is wonderful. And you have your moments where you're in awe, but I think for me, um, it doesn't come until after I've like realized or the reality hits of mm-hmm. what I'm actually doing. And that sometimes takes a few months yeah. to get in. And I'll say that's with every celebrity. Cause so I'm often just like, I just get to get in, do my job and be present to that. And it isn't until you start interacting with people and, and I mean, obviously celebrities are people too, but yeah. you realize, <laughs> you realize though, like, that you're actually, you're feeding people like you're, you know, you're in their space and you're nourishing them. And so, um, there's kind of, you just, I'm just humbled often at the experience and I get to make money doing what I love. So I can't beat that. Which is amazing. It's amazing. And I know that you said that you always wanted a culinary career. So was there something that, you know, an early experience or someone in your life who was like this amazing cook or really like made you feel nourished that sort of inspired that or like what, what was the, what was the inspiration? Well, there were a few things. My, both of my grandfathers were chefs in the military. And so, um, I grew up with them both cooking for, I have a large family on both my mom and my dad's side and Mm -hmm. watching them and being present to them cooking for family gatherings, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then also my mom was not the best chef <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid. And that, I mean, God bless her. My mom worked, she was an amazing parent and, and worked yeah. as a nurse. So because of that, um, she just wasn't present to cooking. Um, yeah. And so I, um, I took my first cooking class. I think I must've been about seven. Oh, wow. And from then on, it was just magic. And I was, again, mm. I was cooking for the neighborhood kids when I was younger and, and <laughs> I would give out my mom's food. Oh. When I was a kid, but uh-huh. I just loved every, every bit of it. And I can even remember, you know, having like an easy bake oven yeah. when I was a kid. And, and, um, I've always just been, uh, you know, in awe of food and, um, and the community that it brings and like family. And obviously, like I said, having food has always been kind of the center yeah. of my life. 
So it's interesting because before I was in marketing and public relations, where I work now, I um, was a journalist for a long time. And I did a lot of writing about food, but not from like a reviewing a restaurant type of perspective. It was more like, how does food bring us together or keep us apart? How does it give us identity? You know, how does it um, make us well or ill, you know? And so it was more like the the meaning behind food, which I guess ties in really well with the Make Meaning podcast. But, um, you know, I've always been fascinated by that because it is, it's such a grounding thing. Like I remember um, being away for a holiday when I was in my 20s and making my grandmother's soup recipe and I couldn't get home for it. But like, those flavors, the fact that she put fresh dill in her in her soup reminded me of her and being home. And I mm-hmm. felt like I was at that holiday table. And so there's just something so familiar and comforting and, and like you said, nourishing about food. Um, yeah. And it can come in so many ways. And so like, I imagine with a culinary talent, you can go in so many directions. Like you could work in a restaurant, you can open a restaurant, you can be a private chef, you can do so many things. So like, how did you decide which direction you were going to take with your culinary talent? Yeah, it kind of actually just happened for me, uh, which is really interesting because, like I said, I was I was applying for an internship after culinary school. And I just so happened to be, while I was in culinary school, I was working for a professor in San Francisco and him and his family. And usually what they did was they would have students come in and work for them because it was less expensive. So the students would come and work for them. And at the end of that, you would leave and, you know, you get your job or whatever that looked or internship or whatnot. And he said to me, listen, I have a connection at at um, Lucas Films, I would love to introduce you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so from yeah. there, um, I went into, I did catering at Lucas Films and um, I interned first and then I, and then I went to the catering department and that's kind of what happened. But I, I went into culinary school initially because I wanted to be a butcher. I was like, oh I okay. want to be a butcher. <laughs> and I like was so, I had gone to Italy and I was like, oh my gosh. Like, and I just loved it. And I loved just the idea of, of being a part of this like amazing culture of people that cut meat. And then yeah. interesting enough, I became a vegan chef, you know, in the vegan community. <laughs> I mean, I, although I, I work now with clients that, that do eat proteins, but, um, but that's kind of where it, this led me. It's so funny because that was my intention was to go and be, and be <sighs> this, um, be this butcher, um, like in New York so somewhere, funny. you know? And yeah. so, so yeah, my path has, like I said, it just directed me and my, I've always just had an intention to be in food. And never, never complained about where, where it's taken me. I've enjoyed every moment, whether it's been in a restaurant or private chefing. And it's just all kind of allowed me to do all of the things that I loved travel and um, even having a family. You know, when I became a private chef, I didn't think that I would have, I'd be able to have a family while I did that because I was traveling with musicians at the time. And then I had my first child and then I got a job that was with someone that wanted someone that had kids. Oh my you know, so it was yeah. just, it's, you know, and knew how to, you know, work with kids. So it just, just, again, just setting the intention and, and holding space that I get to, to do the things that work within my life in that moment. And that's kind of what's happening. That's so. awesome. That's so cool. So, Thank so you're you. a private chef now and you work, Yes. like you go into people's homes, you could like, tell me how that works. So it's all different dependent. So right now I'm working on a, I'm working on set on a film mm-hmm. and I will be um, pretty present with this client. I'm really fortunate because this job came about through, there's an executive chef um, by the name of Tabitha Lee 
leeward and she's just so incredible in this the private chef space mm-hmm. um and for anyone that gets a chance to work with her mm-hmm. congratulations <laughs> so uh-huh. anyway so she's um just a really great advocate for private chefs and uh-huh. um she's been my kind of my cheerleader in this and and she asked me you know how would you feel about working on a on a film set you know, and I, I, like I said, I left music and like, still working for, for uh, celebrities in entertainment, but I was working in their homes at the time. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, I know it's different hours and, you know, you have kids and like, what would this look like? And, and I was like, okay, you know, why not? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and it's just so happened to work out and being on a film set and it's amazing. And I have my own little, little kitchen, um, that's, you know, COVID safe, you know, I'm social distancing and, (laughs) Uh and, um, it looks very different now. Um, life does obviously it's beautiful. It allows me, like I said, to be present with my kids and, and also be doing what I love, um, in the midst of, of the chaos that's happening right now in the world. So, so, all right, I have to ask, and I know you may not even want to answer, but like, tell me any stories that are memorable about working with celebrities or favorite recipes. Yeah. Like, can we name drop a little bit? Because I feel like listeners might like that, but I know. Yeah, let's name that, drop. So, yeah, do it, do <laughs> That's it. okay. We can do some, we can do some name dropping. So okay. I, um, and I, I mean, it's fine. I worked for Prince um, for okay. many years and uh-huh. um, was really fortunate to be able to have that experience at such a young age and, um, travel around with him. And I remember my, I mean, I have so many fond memories, but one of my favorite was, um, when I cooked, I cooked in the hotel. I worked for Prince for many Uh years and, and we were traveling around, um, at that time, I believe we were in Australia Mm -hmm. and, we got to the hotel late and usually I would cook in the hotel kitchen Mm -hmm. and the hotel kitchen was closed. Um, oh. even to him. Uh-huh. And so, wow. um, I ended up having to cook in my hotel room, like in the room with like a tiny little burner uh-huh. that I had, I t- would travel with. I just remember like that moment, like, please God, don't let the fire department come. Like, don't <laughs> let me set off any smoke alarms. Like, because it was, I was like making fish. Like, I mean, I had to make like an actual meal for this uh-huh. person. And, <laughs> and so I cooked a full on meal in my hotel room. I remember saying, Oh my gosh, Crystal, that was one of the best, the best meals I've ever had from you. And I was like, yay, oh. it was so great. Um, all from the courtesy of my, my tiny little bedroom um, oh room at the hotel. But yeah, I mean, I've just, I've, Really, I'll say um, my life is pretty boring now, uh-huh. but in those moments of traveling and being able to be in those spaces with people like Prince and I've worked for um, Will I Am. I worked mm-hmm. for many years for, with Will I Am uh, for mm-hmm. three years. Um, mm-hmm. He's such a great, beautiful human, wonderful experience working at a music studio mm-hmm. with him. And I'm currently working on the set of King Arthur. Mm-hmm. which is a film with um, Will Smith and and um, about the Williams sisters and uh, their father. Mm-hmm. And so it's just amazing. Like I said, the experiences and I will, I have so much gratitude again to Chef Tabitha for mm-hmm. creating this experience for me to yeah. be here. And it's just, it's great. I wouldn't, like I said, change, change this for anything in the path yeah. that I've, that I've been on. Yeah. with these with these folks. <laughs> so, I mean, you've been doing this a long time and I think some food trends come and go and some things are sort of like foundational. And I wonder if there's, you know, I don't know, an approach to food or an ingredient, a recipe, something that you feel is sort of like standing the test of time, something that you just think everybody should be eating or shouldn't be or like any any sort of takeaways like that that can be really grounding when people are sort of looking at their their food culture. 
Yeah, you know what's so interesting um, because things are shifting drastically right now, especially in the you know everyone wanting to be healthy and and eat you know eat well, but eat the foods that they love, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so, and it's hard because there's so many you know diet fat fads and trends and and things like that, and we never know like which one should we do and what works. And and mm-hmm. I will say one of the things that I believe my in my experience that's really like managed to like stay consistent is like a Mediterranean diet. I mean, it's really just high vegetables, low protein, mm-hmm. um, and be it even if you're a vegetarian, you know, mm-hmm. um, or a vegan, it's just mm-hmm. olive oil, just a really beautiful olive oil. And just those meals, like, I don't know, it's, it's, to me, it feels like one of those things that are really can be really consistent in your life, just eating lots and lots of colorful veggies. And if you eat proteins, you know, lean proteins, and I'm not for or against, I, I believe that, you know, everyone everyone eat to each his own, yeah, <laughs> but, for um, sure. but I definitely believe in a variety of, of colorful vegetables that's, okay. and I, and I get that based on the, the Mediterranean diet and being traveling through Greece and being in that space and recognizing just how they eat, like in that, that culture, they also have a, a, a little bit of wine yeah, <laughs> when yeah. they're eating as well. So, Absolutely. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I think it's, in my experience, it's been a really great way for me to get my clients to eat vegetables yeah. is, you know, um, and I find that when people, when you say like, Oh, I, you know, my doctor told me to cut back on the red meat or, you know, whatever. And I, I get to do this. And, um, even when I work with some of my clients, I do some volunteering for clients that, um, are in remission, mm-hmm. um, cancer patients or, um, people that have HIV and AIDS and just that are, that are going through, their different, I guess, spaces and and maneuvering through that and having to change their diet. And so again, that's what one of the things that I do is that I just, I teach them how to love vegetables yeah, and I, and through the Mediterranean diet seems to be the easiest way for people to absorb the idea of eating vegetables as opposed to meat all the time. So yeah, so I want to ask you also about um, feeding your kids. I'm the mom of four teenagers, and when I yeah, I love it, I know they were they're amazing, and now of course they feed themselves. But um, although I do a lot of cooking, but when they were babies, I was very much into the whole attachment parenting perspective. Very mm-hmm. big breastfeeding advocate, and. Mm-hmm. Um, same here. Yay. Yeah. So, and I, I never, I was like really a snob. I wouldn't do, um, baby food. I was like, nope, mm-hmm. real food. And so like my kid's first food was like banana or avocado. Mm-hmm. And then I would put, um, different vegetables in chicken soup that I made and so mm-hmm. like, carrot, sweet potato, zucchini. And like, it was just saturated with the chicken broth, but also with the the nutrients and like, those were their foods, you know? Yes. Um, and as a result, my kids are pretty gourmet and they just, they really don't, I have one kid who like won't eat certain vegetables and he's just an anomaly, but the rest of them mm-hmm. have very sophisticated palates. And so I sort of wonder if that perspective has to be there in order to be open to what you're eating. Like I, I never had the kids who would like only eat chicken tenders. Like that was just mm-hmm. my family because I just, it was never an option. It was like, we're having all different foods and they were curious. And so they tried it from an early age. So what's your perspective about that, especially with your own kids? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I, I have a client that I work with that's pregnant and I asked her, I said, are you going to be making your own baby food? And she said, yeah, that's my plan. And I, I shared with her just my experience with my own kids, which was incorporate spices mm-hmm. as soon as possible. Okay. <laughs> so when you're, when you're doing sweet potatoes, you know, add a little bit of, you know, the cinnamon or add a yeah. little bit of nutmeg or add a little bit of, and every time you introduce like a 
new vegetable, you know, add some rosemary or add some thyme or add some, Mm -hmm. because then, like you said, it's just, you start to elevate their palate and they get used to it. Um, and not that you can't shift things with kids because I have, you know, my, my, my thing with kids that have already, you know, they're already teenagers or, um, um, young children that you're, you know, you get to, you're trying to get them to eat their vegetables or whatnot. The way that I, I go about that and it's, you know, it's, it's all, a matter of just, um, being patient, but it's really, I don't feed my kids anything that I won't eat. Yeah, for sure. And then I don't eat anything that they can't eat. Mm, And that's kind of how I live, you know? So, um, so if you're having a soda, Mm -hmm. you can't tell your kids not to have a soda for sure, you know? And so it's really about, it's the same mindset. Like you have to have the same mindset that you, that you want your kids to have, you know? And so I had some parents once say to me, well, how do I get them to stop drinking soda? And I said, well, do you drink soda? She's like, yeah, but I hide it under the bed. And I said, well, that's the, you know, so we get to be, even if we're not, they're not seeing it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's still just a matter of being, being an integrity and, and saying to yourself, like, I love my, I love myself enough to not have this. And I want my kids to, to do the same. Yeah. And so incorporating those vegetables and things into their diet, it's okay. And yeah. they'll get used to it and they will eat it. Yeah. You know, my yeah. daughter had a moment where she didn't eat anything green. Oh. You know, she was just like, I'm not, she just wasn't having it. <laughs> she just did not. Eat. And now she loves salad, you know, but that yeah. was her thing. Like, it was like, it's green. I don't want it. And I just kept, you know, a little bit of time, a little bit of time and not forcing, but just like, it's on your plate. And you yeah. get to, you know, get to try it. And and I also have this, <laughs> this rule um, or not a rule. I, I have a request mm-hmm. um, when I work with young students that um, I'm teaching cooking classes to or things like that, or even people that come to my house mm-hmm. that are, that are picky or, or selective mm-hmm. in their, in their diet. I say, if you're going to come to my house or if we're going to cook together and we're going to try this food, mm-hmm. then you get to, you get to try it three times before you mm-hmm. tell me you don't like it. Okay. And because then it's this, because sometimes we just have an idea. I don't like something, especially when you're adults, young adults or adults. And you're like, I don't like it. And it's like, okay, well, have you, have you one, have you had it before? No. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Have you had it cooked this way? No. Okay, great. So let's be open. Yeah. And that's kind of how I get, I, I, I get people to, to try new foods Okay, is that you get to try it three times. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, um, all right. I want to talk a little bit about your philosophy of making food a priority and not a chore. So I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit more about that and then also offer our listeners some practical steps on how they can do this for themselves. Yes. So we often put food on the back burner, which is why we have so many fast food restaurants out Mm -hmm. there, right? Because it's not a priority. And so when we make food a priority and say, just like when we talk about family time or when we talk about, um, I get to create more time for myself, but work is a priority Mm -hmm. for most people, right? We have to make money (laughs) so that we can provide and we can, and we can eat. So yeah, for me, when I think about that concept of, you know, a priority and not a chore, I think about things like work, working is a priority. So I, Notice, like even with myself when I was working, mm-hmm. um, even as a chef that I wasn't, I wouldn't stop to eat Oh, or when nice. I ate, I would, I would eat standing up, uh-huh. you know, because I was just like, I just get to get this down yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that I, you know, feed myself and, and go back to work. And what I realized was that I wasn't making time for myself. Sitting down to eat a meal mm-hmm. doesn't take long at all. Mm-hmm. And so when we incorporate exercise into our life, it's one of those things where we're like, I, you know, it's a have to right? Mm -hmm. Like I have to eat or I have to work out as opposed to I get to, like, I get to eat. 
And I get to value the fact that I have the ability to sit here and eat this meal because not all, not all of us have that, you know, not all of us have the opportunity. And so anytime you can take 15, 20 minutes out of your day Mm -hmm. to sit down and eat your food, it's important. And it's, and it gives you, it rejuvenates, it balances that whatever chaos or, or moment or not even chaos, just like movement that's Mm -hmm. happening in your life. It settles Mm -hmm. you and you just stop Mm -hmm. and enjoy your food and enjoy that moment that you have either with yourself or your family or whatever that may look like. And the way that I do that now, even like, you know, today I'm on set Mm -hmm. and, um, I get to be present with you Mm -hmm. and, um, (laughs) after we're done, I'm getting my lunch. But, Uh um, and what that looks like for me is like stepping outside of the truck and the food truck where I'm working and, and going and sitting and having my food and enjoying that process. Um, with myself. And I know, um, people say, well, how do I, you know, if I don't have time to cook and then how am I supposed to sit down and eat the meal? And, and so even with meal prep, you know, and taking sometimes just saying to yourself, this is what I'm going to make for dinner Mm -hmm. to me is meal prep, as opposed to I get home and I'm like, what am I going to make for dinner? So when I know in my head, this is what I'm going to make for dinner. When I get home, you know, I'm going to make a chicken and some roasted vegetables and a salad. Then I know I'm going to go home. I'm going to cook it. And then I'm going to sit down. I'm going to eat it. And it's just this, like, again, just practicing Mm -hmm. sharing with yourself and creating that, um, that practice of prepping your meal, whether you've cooked it the night before or the week before or whatever that looks like, or that night, Mm -hmm. it's just, you're setting that intention of what gets to happen Mm -hmm. so that you're preparing your mind. And then, you know, your, your body's like, okay, I've, I've prepared this meal and now I get to sit down and eat it Mm -hmm. and enjoy it. And what do you think is the impact when we do that? So when we're making food a priority and it's not a chore and we're taking that time to plan and to, to make ourselves, I guess, a priority, like, what is the long-term impact on us when we do that? Is that not everything is, is, gets to be rushed. Not everything is in life gets to be rushed. We are only on this planet for such a small amount of time. Yeah. And so when we rush through life, we miss things. And so for me, having a meal with my children mm-hmm. or a meal by myself, it's a moment where I get to reflect mm-hmm. on what's happening, what's happened. You know, where do I get to adjust something in my day or shift something, you know, um, or just clear my mind. And even with, you know, I know a lot, there's a lot of people that are unfortunately are sitting at home, you know, and really, you know, figuring out how to restructure their lives Mm -hmm. and even taking the time to sit and eat a meal Mm -hmm. right now, um, feels like a chore because you're in this constant space of like, what's going to happen next. I don't know. I don't know where the world is going to go, you know, and, um, to be able to release your mind, even that Mm -hmm. for, for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever that is, um, also just gets to reset and give you an opportunity to relax. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I used to write articles about the importance of the family table and how, when you sit down with your children for dinner, you know, some nights of the week, even if it's not every night, um, Mm -hmm. their grades are better. Their confidence is higher. Mm -hmm. They're less likely to do drugs or, you know, Mm -hmm. engage in risky behaviors. And it was just such a profound lesson to me to, to read that. And as a result, we've ended up really having family dinners almost every night. And, and I had a little, patch of time when some of my teens were like, oh, why do we always have to do this? And then they'd invite their friends over and their friends would sit down and we'd have like, you know, several dishes that I made. And they're mm-hmm. like, do you do this every night? And it was new to them. And I just, it made me mm-hmm. feel so great that like my kids had that 
experience as a grounding foundation for them to know that we're listening, we're talking, we, we come together. There are people who are there that are your anchor. And I mean, their objection really was very short-lived and I, I was so glad to see mm-hmm. that. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. It's interesting when my friends come over to my house and they're, they open the refrigerator. That's the first, my kids are, my kids are free <laughs> to go in and out of the refrigerator uh-huh. and they have one shelf that belongs uh-huh. to them. Uh-huh. And so they know, and there's, I, I have like, um, when I buy fruit and, and vegetables, I chop everything up and put it in containers that they can just reach in and grab mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And, um, my friends are so impressed by, oh my gosh, so your refrigerator is like immaculate. And I'm like, it's, it's not that what it is, is that it means that my kids don't have to come constantly asking me to make them something. So there's that. And it's when, like you said, when their friends come over, you know, they see my kids eating fruits and vegetables and how easy and simple it is for them. And then it just creates that same dynamic in their own house. Um, and like you said, it's like that the kids are like, Hey, you know, do you want an apple or do you want, you know, some oranges or their strawberries or they're this. And, and it's creating the freedom also for my children to choose mm-hmm. what they get to eat. Um, yeah. and they get to explore, you know, um, what they're eating. And so yeah. I agree with also what you're talking about, just eating with the kids and being at the table because my kids for us, um, when I was going through the, di- through a divorce, that was really important to me mm-hmm. is that, um, everything is, up and down right now. And everything is either right side up or this or that. And the one thing that was consistent was us sitting together, them setting the table, me putting the food on the table, Mm -hmm. serving each other, Mm -hmm. being present with each other. And that stayed consistent for them. Yeah. And, um, and I would still do things like while I was going through my divorce, I would take things to their father. I would take Mm -hmm. him food Mm -hmm. so that they could sit down and eat together. And because it was a new experience for him as well, going through yeah. this and, and then, you know, going from being married to a chef to now I get to provide for my kids, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so, um, so that was really important that I, I wanted them to create that space and they do that too. They sit down and they eat dinner together and, um, not that he wouldn't have created that on his own. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he would have, but it was something that we did when we were married. And so we got to keep that for them and, and, um, again, it was, it's consistent in their yeah. life. So yeah, that's awesome. So um, before we finish, I do want to ask about your culinary urban development project, inner city kitchen. So tell me a yes. little bit about it, you know, and how did it come to be? So inner city kitchen started out um, as an idea where I would go into inner city schools and teach cooking and nutrition mm-hmm. to inner city youth and their families. When I went off, shut off to go work with, with Prince, I went on tour and I kind of put it on the back burner. And when I returned, I decided, you know, this project gets to, gets to live again. And interestingly enough, I have a friend that is a a developer and he said, listen, um, I recognize that you, you know, get to go into these inner city schools and create this. He said, but what would it look like? for you to have something larger than that. And it works for the entire community where you could teach cooking and nutrition and the community can have a space to come to and eat healthy food and, um, and feel like they're part of their own community. And I thought, okay, why not? You know? Mm, And so that's really where that came about. And I've just been fortunate enough to have someone. So there's three of us, three partners. So Mm -hmm. have the developer that I work with as well as my other partner works for the city of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And so he um, is an urban planner. Mm -hmm. So he already knew what was needed inside of the 
the community. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, it was like, oh, great. Like, we, like he knows, you know, um, where there's different fast food restaurants and where, you know, we're not allowed to build mm-hmm. and where um, we get to bring in healthy food, where the community has been asking for it. So it just, the the three of us have been able to, to see the shifting that's happening within the city. Mm-hmm. And then we've also gone out to rural areas like um, Detroit and um, sorry, outside of Detroit, Minneapolis, to see what we can do within those communities as well, um, to create a space for farmers mm-hmm. where they can have little pop-up shops and things like that, mm-hmm. and also hold space for them within the city where they can bring their fruits and vegetables to our restaurants or our mm-hmm. little, our little hubs. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're local farmers and, and, uh, are being able to work, yeah. you know, and we're not outsourcing. So from other countries and we were working here in the United States and, mm-hmm. and it felt, it just feels really good to be able to not only support the city, but also support farmers. Like it's amazing yeah. to be in this experience. So that's awesome. I'll put info in the show notes about it. So if people want to get involved, thank you know how to find you. So I mean, Crystal, I could keep talking to you and I know you have to go have your lunch. I can't keep you from that. Um, but I want to just finish by, you know, asking you sort of the quintessential question that I always put before our guests. And, you know, on this show, we focus on finding meaning in work and purpose in life. And so I wonder what advice you might offer our listeners um, as to how they can give themselves permission to go in pursuit of their unique meaning and purpose and put it to work for them. Yes. I mean, for me, I will say, and again, I know I spoke a lot today around intention. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it is, you know, is you, you get to have a vision, you know, and whatever that vision is, um, don't focus on the mechanics of how you're going to get there. Because if you focus on how you're going to get there, you'll never get there and it's never going to be perfect, Mm -hmm. you know? And so we strive for excellence, not perfection. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was, you know, I had a vision to be in the culinary space and that was it. And I, mm-hmm. and I knew that, um, everything else would work itself out that, you know, the how would work itself out and taking one day at a time. That's really what kept my vision going is that there were some days that were not as great as the other days, but that was okay because I still had the vision and I just kept my, my eyes on the vision. Awesome. So. Well, Crystal Blanchard, it's so nice to talk with you. I'm just inspired by all you're doing. And I, I frankly wish that I lived closer so that you could cook for me. But, um, <laughs> but one day, one day we'll get to one day. Me, so. <laughs> Crystal, thank you so much for being on the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.